What's up, everybody? It is fight week, right? We got UFC 280 this weekend and uh, headlined by Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev. Obviously, one of the biggest fight cards of the year, right? And uh, one of the biggest fights of the year. And there's a real argument that Charles Oliveira has a chance to cement himself as the greatest lightweight of all time this weekend. You got to consider the list of names that Charles has fought. And don't get me wrong. The streak that Habib went on was fucking incredible right to finish your career 29 and 0 and to beat the people that he beat in the fashion that he did and to you know like really kind of like clean out the lightweight division was impressive but i think if you look at Charles Oliveira's record he's fought more he's fought bigger names he's fought guys like Max Holloway Cub Swanson he's been in the UFC for 11 years and he is on an 11 fight win streak right now and only one of them went to decision, right? All others he finished. And he has the UFC record for most submissions, right? And by the way, the decision was Tony Ferguson. who don't, And he wet blanketed him in that fight, right? Literally just got on top of Tony and fucking dominated him. And Tony was able to stay defensively responsible enough to not get submitted. But man, he also almost got his fucking arm broke in that fight. Like, <laughs> Charles Oliveira is a bad motherfucker. Right. And if he wins, it also like here's the thing about Habib. When Habib fought, they have two different styles too. This and this is like something I think that I don't know if it plays into the factor of like the greatest ever talk, but I do think that it's an important dynamic to bring up. Habib had a much more I'm just going to pressure the fuck out of you style, right? Like it's just gonna keep coming, it's going to be nonstop, and I am going to eventually get the fight to the ground and work you into a position where I either control you for the entirety of the round and hit you with ground and pound or I get the finish, right? Whereas in my opinion, at least like my perception when I watch like Oliveira is he's, he does have that pressure. He's constantly coming after you, but he's so much more willing to walk into the fire, right? Like, and he gets dropped in almost all of his fights, like Justin Gaethje, right? Poirier. It's like he gets Michael Chandler. He constantly gets hurt and then he bounces back from it. So it's like when you're watching Oliveira, it's much more like what's going to happen. And then he somehow comes out on the other end of it victorious. And it's much more exciting in my opinion. Whereas Habib left you with more of this inevitable feeling that like this was going to end and there was nothing the other person can do about it. Right. Which when you think about that, that, that impression that you leave, like, is that more important to just completely dominate your opponent constantly? Right. In every round basically of your career, like, is that more impressive? Should that weigh more in the greatest conversation? I don't know. I don't know. But man, the thing with this matchup this weekend that adds a little bit, at least to the argument for Charles, in my opinion, is that Islam's style, while Islam is a better, a better uh, striker, I think, in terms of technique, at least. Like we really saw Habib's boxing come along more towards the end of his career, but Islam is much more proficient, right? He's much more clean. He's much more fluid with his kicks right? He's much more comfortable in the stand-up. And I think he would fight a much more impressive kickboxing bout, like with strict rules, than Habib would. So I think Islam's further ahead in that department. And Habib probably more so in the grappling. But Islam's grappling is just also uber impressive. I mean, the way he submitted Dan Hooker, right? Uh, he just is... It le if Charles can beat him, my point is, is that it kind of leaves you with the impression that Charles could also handle a style similar to Habib's, 
So it strengthens his argument for the greatest of all time talk. I think if Charles, especially if he can finish Islam, there's going to be real consideration about whether he's the greatest lightweight of all time. And then he's going to start entering greatest of all time talks in any division. But man, if you think about the history of the lightweight division, right? You go back, it was probably BJ Penn for a while, right? And then it like hit a point where it just started changing hands frequently, right? Like it went through the Pettis era, like Frankie Edgar held it at one point, RDA held it at one point, Conor McGregor held it at one point, Eddie Alvarez, and nobody really has held onto the title for that long. And I know the Justin Gaethje one doesn't count, but Oliveira is defending the title consistently against big names, whereas Habib kind of fought a lot of them on the way to the top and then defended a couple after, right? So I don't know. There's those two elements to consider too. I really think people, and me personally as well, if Charles can win, uh, I do think that you have to, man, you might have to consider him the best, even above Habib. And then it starts making you wonder, I know that he said he wouldn't and that he's retired for good, but things change and Habib is still human. And I do wonder if Charles beats Islam if Habib says I'm coming out to like prove something to like get to 30 and 0 and stamp myself as the greatest of all time, right? And how old is Charles Oliveira? I don't even know. That's something I should know, right? Uh, Charles is 33, and how old is Habib? Like 35, right? And I know he hasn't been like competing actively. Uh, Habib's 34, like. <laughs> I mean, like, damn, still, it would be two guys in their athletic prime, at least. I mean, I know the lack of competition, like I said, would weigh into this with Habib. But if Charles can beat Islam decisively, it makes you wonder where Habib's headspace is going to be, right? I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. But I I don't know. I don't think anything's going to lure Habib out in my heart, though. But like I said, things change and there's always a chance. So, uh, da, da, da. there was a news article that I saw today that I think is going to be very controversial and I don't think the fans or the public are going to care for it much, but I saw that the UFC has, uh, expressly prohibited quote unquote teams from wagering on bouts in the updated athlete code of conduct policy, right? So fighters and teams are no longer allowed to wager on the fights and, while I do think that fighters maybe should be able to bet like strictly the money line on themselves, I think this is the right call. I think that if you look at other sports and stuff, like the MLB, like baseball and stuff, right? They have these kind of policies in place as well. And it's for a reason. It's so that people don't start fucking gaming the system and making money off of it and letting corruption seep itself into the sport deeper and deeper. And I know that we all want to believe that these are mixed martial artists and that they wouldn't do it, but just like, like it, they're, they're just people. They're just people at the end of the day and people can do fucking shady things. And let me just set up a scenario, right? Let's say you're on a two or three fight losing streak in the UFC and you're faced up against a tough opponent or something, right? Like you have a feeling that you might not win this upcoming fight. And if so, you might have ties severed with the UFC and you're going to have to look for work in another organization somewhere like PFL, Bellator, et cetera, right? You know, you're going to, that's probably going to be the reality. Would you not take advantage of the betting lines on that? And maybe like, I don't know, 
I'm not saying intentionally get yourself knocked out or anything, but you could guarantee certain outcomes. You could. And if I can tell you one thing, as somebody who's just like practiced jujitsu more as a hobbyist, right? Like as you get better at jujitsu, you can start scaling your performance level down a little bit, right? And if somebody's better than you, you can look like, I don't know. You can like, my point is just that like these people are professionals at defending themselves and they could make it look good and still lose, right? Do something like give up their back and make it look like it was a good move on the other person. You could do things like that. I'm just talking in hypotheticals here, but it could happen. And I think unfortunately when you set rules like this and when the UFC is starting to get the real public recognition that it has now and when you start thinking about the fact that, you know, people are going to be get cut, getting cut more often because the roster is so large. People on the fringes who aren't well known could take advantage of stuff like this, right? And bet on outcomes and kind of guarantee those outcomes. And you got to, I think this is the right thing to do, but I don't think it'll be popular. Um, but I think that you got to prevent corruption from seeping its way in any way you can. And I think that this is a good move. Uh, I also saw that it extends to other people because I saw a bunch of memes and shit that people were saying like they'll just have their girlfriends bet on the fights and stuff like that. So I saw that it extends to like other certain people. So I'm guessing those would be, you know, who they're talking about aside from the fighters and the teams. But I do think this is the, uh, I think it's the right move. It's unfortunate for the fighters, especially if you're good at gambling and good at just like strictly analyzing a fight and placing your bets on it. But shit. Also, it did say that they're still allowed to like partner with like DraftKings or something, right? Promote them on their social media and make money through partnerships. They just can't gamble on the fights. Sucks. Like I said, I don't think the fighters will like it. I don't think the public will receive it well, but I do kind of think it's the fucking the move. Uh, Okay, let's get into breaking this card down now. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention one on prime video. I love what one is doing. I just personally don't have the time to like cover it right now. Right? Like it, it, there's just no denying that the UFC has the most talented fighters and also the most depth. So it's hard to focus on one and like put time into also analyzing those fights and doing predictions and stuff. But I do follow it and I do try to tune in and I love the jujitsu matches, right? Like the fact that Mikey Musumeci is over there. Uh, I love the mixed rules bout that they do where they had like Demetrius Johnson going and doing like the uh, kickboxing or Muay Thai rules and then going back to MMA rules and stuff. And, you know, they got John Lineker taking on Fabricio Andrade in the headliner this weekend. And again, you can watch that on Prime Video, which is pretty awesome. So that's October 21st. Just wanted to mention that. So while I don't give it the attention that it deserves, uh, that's a big fight. And I, their, their cards are very entertaining. And I think one also just, they do a lot of things right. I like the way they handle weight cutting. And this is one that my view has my view on it has flip-flopped like throughout the years, I guess. Like whether you should allow knees to a downed opponent and the noon to six elbow, right? And I don't know if one allows the noon to six specifically, but I do know that they allowed knees to a downed opponent. That's how Demetrius Johnson got knocked out, right? So I used to lean on the side of thinking this is just realism. Like that could happen in a fight and it should be allowed. But also then I consider like, okay, but then I, you see it actually happen and it kind of changes your mind. Like not 
I'm torn on this. I do think the rule set would be much simpler if you just allowed it because then you don't have to worry about people's hands being down and shit. It's just allowed. Defend yourself. Like, I do enjoy and appreciate that, like I said, that realistic part of the fighting. And I do, like, it, it, it is appealing. But I've also come to accept the fact that MMA is a sport. Like, it is a sport, right? And if you're talking about an actual fight out in the street when you're just fighting some dude, groin strikes should be allowed then. Anything should be allowed. Strikes to the back of the head while you're on top of their back and have them flattened out right here at the base of the skull should be allowed. Like, those are true realities. And I just think that, like, if you, I already can tell when I watch Sports Center and a knockout makes the top 10. The fighters or the announcers or whoever, like the broadcasters, they don't like the way that it looks when fighters get knocked out. They just don't. I can tell that they're not receiving it well. And I don't think that the public, I still think they're on the verge of that right now. And if you introduce like a highlight real knockout in a championship fight or something, because like, it could happen, where a guy is on the ground seemingly defenseless, right? Even if he knows it's allowed, right? So he has the responsibility of defending himself. Like I get that element, but I'm just saying, it's not going to look good to the public if he's getting kneed in the fucking face while he's on the ground not defending himself. That makes it look brutal and it makes it look like primal. And I think that noon to six elbows do as well. There's just something that's, it's so direct, right? Whereas when you slice this way, you can argue that it cuts you open more and stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't look as bad. This looks bludgeoning. This looks slicing. For whatever reason, we tend to, as the public, be more okay with slicing movements, right? Like it, it looks more... It just doesn't look as bad. And honestly, I don't think that it, you could like <laughs> potentially cave somebody's skull in with noon to six right down. I do think it should have to come in from an angle. I don't know. I like there are things like that that I, I don't know how to explain it or why I feel that way. And I understand that it's not as realistic, but it's also something where like I've come to accept that this is a sport and that you can't have all elements of a real fucking fight in a sport. So I lean now more towards not allowing these to a downed opponent. And not allowing noon to six elbows in the same for the same reason I don't like strikes to the back of the head. And I understand like Joe Rogan makes the argument all the time that the head kick wraps around. But like you can put yourself in a position to defend a head kick much more readily. I understand that's just like the reality of head kicks. Like I don't think you can put anything in place to stop that. But when you're intentionally striking somebody in the back of the head, when you have a visual contact with the back of their head, there's something that doesn't look good about that. And there's also something, in my opinion, that just doesn't look good about somebody getting need while they're on the ground. So I don't know. I don't know. I got off on a tangent about that, but let's move on and let's break on. Let's break down this UFC 280 card, right? Great fucking fight card, especially the main card. Some good fights on the prelims as well, right? Kyle Baralo versus Mahmoud Muradov. That's a good fight. Nikita Krilov's fighting on here against Vulcan Ozdemir. Uh, Lucas Almeida versus Zubaira Tugov. I'm mispronouncing that. I know I am. But the one I'm really interested in is, is the featured prelim. Sean Brady versus Bilal Muhammad, right? And keep in mind, guys, that's a great matchup. That's a great fucking stylistic matchup. I love that. I love seeing Sean Brady can extend his win, like, get to 16-0 against a guy like Bilal, who's a very strong wrestler. Uh, fucking great fight. But keep in mind, guys, that this weekend, the fights start 
the prelim card starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time, right, on ESPN Plus or ESPN News. And then the pay-per-view starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So don't fucking, like, wait till 8 or 10 and think you're going to be ordering the pay-per-view, right? They're over in Abu Dhabi. So starting much earlier. So to keep that in mind. Uh, otherwise, you might be watching fucking highlights of it on Twitter or something. So <laughs> just keep in mind that it starts earlier. Okay. First fight on this main card is a matchup between Caitlin Chukagian and Manon Foyo. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's what I'm going with. So if not, I apologize. I, th- I literally just watched the fights like 20 minutes ago too. And I was like, memorize it, memorize it. Now it's fucking gone. So I think that's right, but I'm not positive. Anyway, this is an interesting matchup between two strikers, right? And I think that Caitlin Chukagian is somebody who, especially when she starts getting in a rhythm and, uh, as the fight starts to proceed, if it stays on the feet, oftentimes she's very good at establishing and maintaining the distance and keeping folks at the end of her strikes, right? She has a very good front kick that she throws up the middle a lot, stabbing people in the gut. That helps with the range a little bit too. Um, And she's competent in the grappling department. I mean, granted, you saw some struggles against like obviously Valentina and stuff, right? But we've also seen some examples of her having success and getting back to her feet. Something that makes me nervous though, right? In her fight against Amanda Hebos, she got hit with the same exact throw, right? That Manon Foyo hit against Jennifer Maya. And Jennifer Maya is a talented grappler, right? And it's, there's just something about when you look at the explosiveness and the takedown ability and the understanding of positioning and stuff, even the way when she got on top of Jennifer Maya, Manone, that is, got on top of Jennifer Maya and controlled underhooks and stuff and didn't establish, uh, didn't let her establish any sort of positioning and stuff or uh, anything like that. Like, I think when you look at that, that was the most impressive part of her beating Maya. And it makes me a little bit nervous that, Amanda Hebos was able to hit that throw on Chukagian and establish some top control because I think that Foyo will be much more brutal with her ground and pound. And I think that she also has just a more firm understanding of what it's going to take for Caitlin to get back to her feet. And she's going to be able to negate that. And oftentimes when you get two strikers, right, that match up, it ends up turning into a grappling match. And like I said, while Caitlin has good jiu-jitsu and a good ability to get back to her feet at times, and she threatened to take the back of Hebos in certain situations and stuff, right? It doesn't negate the fact that it's more important to be on top. And like I said, I like the fact that uh, Manone just has this understanding of what it takes for people to get back to their feet and how to negate it. And if you're on top, that's a very important thing to have. And she's pretty explosive and she has pretty good entries on her takedowns too, Right. And, and she's a very talented striker, right? She's explosive. I think she's going to be able to get in and out more quickly than Caitlin is. And I think that Caitlin's really going to struggle to start connecting with Manone in this one. I just think that you know, Manone's always reaching out with that front leg sidekick, hitting you in the leg, hitting you in the body. She can bring it up top, right? I just think she's going to be get, able to get in and out. And it's going to be very hard for Caitlin to ever establish that distance that we just talked about earlier that's so important for her in her fights. Add that into the fact that I think Manone also presents the problem of like level changes and the ability to immediately put the fight on the ground in a more like dynamic way than Caitlin's capable of. I think that kind of stacks things in favor of Manone Foyo in this fight. I think that Caitlin's a tough customer and it's going to be very hard for Manone to get a finish. But I do think that Again, also, 
one more thing that makes me a little nervous for Caitlin in the striking department. Despite the fact that she is a good striker, she it's not that she doesn't have speed on the way here. I just think she's a little bit slow on withdrawing her punches. And I also think that's going to contribute to uh, Manon Foyot being able to get in and out quickly. She's going to be able to take advantage of that, maybe come over the top at times. And if she starts mixing in her kicks to the legs and the body, it's going to start dropping the hands of Caitlin and open that stuff up over top even more. I just think that she's going to be able to outpoint her in both areas, right? I like the fact that Manon can threaten to take the fight to the ground in a very dynamic and explosive manner. And I like the fact that she's a little bit more, again, I, it's, it's, her, it's how dynamic she is, right? That, that's basically all around what I'm going with. I think that Caitlin's very talented. Caitlin's very fundamentally sound. Uh, but I think that she, it, you can hit her. And I think that there are going to be advantages in both departments, both the striking and the grappling that Manon can take advantage of in this fight. So, yeah, I'm going with uh, Foyo. I think it'll maybe go to a decision. Like I said, Chikagin's tough, but I got Foyo in this one. All right, so Benil Dariush versus Matash Gamrot. Matash Gamrot obviously coming over. What's a somewhat controversial, I think, win over Armand Sarukian. And going up against Benil Dariush, who's riding an impressive win streak of his own, right? I think, though... I think the favorites on this card, I think that when you look at every single underdog, they're very tempting, but I do think that the favorites for the most part are correct. Um, with the exception of some. Mm. Nah, the, I, I don't know. But this was one where I feel the same way. I just feel like if you look at Gamrot and the way he dealt with the technical striking of Armand Sarukian, I think that Gamrot is a little bit faster. And I also think that his just technical wrestling is better than Benil Dariush's. I think his the striking, like, don't get me wrong, Benil Dariush is fucking dangerous. He has power. He can strike with you. He uses his kicks and stuff well, right? Um, kind of has that, like, a little bit, like, hunched over style. But he has power on his punches. I just think Gamrot's going to be a little bit faster, and he's just going to be able to touch him just enough. But I really think that when they start getting into grappling uh, exchanges, you're going to see that... Gamrod's going to be able to fend off most of the attempts from Dariush, especially as the grappling transitions start to get extended. And I think that when Gamrot gets on the offensive with the wrestling, Dariush is always, it's just going to feel like he's a step behind. I just think that Matash is going to be able to transition to things quicker, string things together a little bit better. And I think that he just like, he might get tagged with some big shots on the feet. That might be an advantage that Dariush has in this fight is maybe his ability because Gamrot dances around a little bit. He's okay with moving on the outside. The pressure of Dariush could be a problem. And maybe pushing this fight up against the cage early, beating him up with some knees and stuff would be a good game plan for Benil Dariush. But I just think that that movement and stuff is going to allow Gamrot to touch Benil just enough. And when the grappling exchanges uh, start to happen, I think that Gamrot will be able to defend and then probably a lot of the times even be able to reverse into advantageous positions against Dariush. So go from where Benil's on the offensive and Gamrot reverses it and then takes advantage. Now he's on the offensive. I think there's going to be a lot of that happening too. So for these reasons, I'm leaning Gamrot. I think it'll probably be a decision win for him. I don't see him finishing Dariush, but fuck. I just think that he's going to be able to control the fight. I really like, like I said, I like the speed of his transitions. And you can just tell that, in my opinion, in my estimation, he's a little bit more technical and a little bit more explosive. And once again, much like the last fight, 
a little bit more dynamic. So that's my thoughts. Sean O'Malley versus Piotr Jan. This is a much anticipated matchup and a huge fight for Sean O'Malley on a big card. This is a really big opportunity. And Piotr Jan, obviously the former champion. Uh, So (sighs) another one where I want, this is a fight where it's very tempting to look at O'Malley as the underdog and go, okay, I think he can do this. And he very well fucking could. I don't think he's a bad bet at all. But I think that if I'm being honest with myself, I think that Piotr Jan wins this fight. I think that Jan keeps his hands up, right? He's always very defensively responsible. And he's a very good striker. And he's very patient, right? O'Malley might be able to take advantage of the fact, though, that sometimes it takes Piotr Jan a little bit to get going. And if O'Malley can start tagging him early, O'Malley has some undeniable power. Like, he can put you to sleep. So if he can start tagging you on with big shots early and get ahead big in the round or get a finish early on, there's a real chance that he wins this fight. Like, I don't want to act like Sean O'Malley does not have a fucking chance. He 100% has a chance. His striking is fucking, there's something about it that when he hits guys, it's just like, it's special, right? And you can tell the way he moves. But... I just think that Jan is going to stay responsible enough to get through a little bit of the, like, he's going to get to see everything that O'Malley's going to throw at him, and then he's going to start being able to pour it on, right? I love the timing on his jab. He'll switch up the timing, doubles it up, comes over top with the right hand, really moves in, and he, like, covers distance, like, with his strikes and his footwork. He's very... Very technically sound in the boxing department. And he also chases takedowns a little bit more aggressively than O'Malley does. At least in the history of their fights. You got to remember though, O'Malley has some jujitsu. You don't get to see a lot of it, but I do think that he's very talented on the ground. And we might get to see a little bit of that in this fight. And you saw that while Piotr Jan was able to again stay safe and get to a decision with Sterling, he gave up the back. So it's like, I don't know what happens if they get into scrambles on the ground. But... I think that Jan just has a firm enough understanding of top control. And I think he's probably the one most likely to end up on top in those situations. I don't think O'Malley will be the one landing the takedowns. I think O'Malley's path to success is through the striking, keeping it on the, which isn't a bad plan because like a lot of the times too, Jan's not like pushing you up against the fence, hunting for double legs. He's hitting like trips in the middle of the octagon, very like almost Zabit, Megamish, Sheripovesque, right? Like that kind of shit. Um, And I don't know. I just think that like Jan's going to be able to get close to O'Malley with his boxing, hit stuff like that, hit some of those trips. And just, I think he'll just kind of dominate O'Malley by staying technically sound, right? Uh, I do think, again, O'Malley has a chance. His striking might be so dynamic that it confuses Jan and he's not able to keep up with the possibilities. But I think the key for O'Malley in this fight, if he's going to win, is going to be volume. And it, it has to be volume and variety. He has to be throwing strikes at Piotr Jan that Jan's not ready for, right? And that he's not, he can't let him start getting reads on things and recognizing patterns. He's got to be keeping things in his face. And he's also got to be successful. He's got to make him respect them, right? But if you see Jan just kind of like downloading, downloading, and Sean's not really putting pressure on him, I think Jan will start picking up the pressure and he'll be the one pushing Sean backwards. I kind of, in my mind, that's how I see the fight going. But if O'Malley can just get firing early on, it could be, it could be a big night for him, man. If he throws enough variety out there and can just kind of like not let Jan get going, 
I think the first round in this fight is super important, right? And it all depends on how O'Malley comes out and his, like, uh, I guess sort of strategy for this fight. Like I said, I think a fast start is important, getting that volume and variety out there. But we'll see. Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw for the Bantamweight title. Mm, this is one where I said I was leaning favorites, and I think I'm leaning dog. I've gone back and forth on this fight so many fucking times. But, man, I always used to say this, and... If you had to build a fighter from the ground up and like give him all the skills that he needed, he would end up looking a lot like TJ Dillashaw. He is a very, very talented kickboxer. He has power in his hands, as evidenced by his Cody knockout, right? Like he beat the fuck out of uh, Hennon Barrow, who was on like a nine year fight win streak. Like he was, he is one of the most well rounded bantamweights of all time. And I think that he's getting slept on a little bit in this matchup against Sterling because of Sterling's success over Jan. I don't know that people are looking at this like strategically or if they're looking at how impressive the win over Jan was. But I think that for Sterling to get to the back and do what he did to Piotr Jan, to TJ Dillashaw, is going to be very, very complicated. And I think that when things are on the feet, TJ just has more tools in the toolbox, in the striking department. I think he moves better. I think he disguises his strikes better. I think he's much more fluid in terms of how he switches stances, covers distance, sets up the range. It's not that Sterling's bad. I just think he's a little more stiff, right? And I think that he reaches out with things like just like more simple combinations and his kicks are coming straight up the middle, which is all well and good. That's all good. But I just think that when you look at how Dillashaw moves on the feet, he moves better. And I think he throws more. He throw also, he throws combinations. He's always letting more than like two or three strikes fly at a time. And he's giving you a bunch of different looks guys. I don't care about the cheat. I do. I do care about it. Right. But in terms of like looking at this matchup, TJ Dillashaw is a bad motherfucker and he can wrestle, right? And I also think a lot of people look at like what Sterling did to Sandhagen, right? And you got to consider that aspect too. Like what if he does go out and just fucking put it on TJ Dillashaw? Sterling's jujitsu is fucking top notch. I just think it's going to be hard for him to get to the takedowns on Dillashaw and get to top position. I think top position is so important and we're going to talk about it in the next fight, but I think that the person more likely to end up on top in the wrestling situations in this particular fight is TJ Dillashaw. TJ can just wrestle, man. He can wrestle and his striking, again, it's a mixed martial arts fight. And I think that his striking and his creativity in that department and his like technical prowess in that department opens up more opportunities for him to get the fight to the ground. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to sleep on Sterling either. I think Sterling is fucking amazing. But I think stylistically, this is just a favorable matchup for TJ Dillashaw. And I'm going with the dog, right? I think if I'm betting money this weekend, I'm probably betting it on TJ Dillashaw considering the odds. And just the fact that I think he's a favorable... I think he matches up favorably against Aljamain. Especially on the feet and how the combinations on the feet are going to open things up for him uh, to get the fight to the ground. I just like... I like... Like I said, I favor TJ on the feet, but I also like the fact that he's most likely to end up in top position, man. I think that's so important, and we're going to get into that now, breaking down Oliveira versus Islam Makachev. So, 
Again, we talked at the beginning of the show about how if Charles wins, there's a very good chance that he cements himself as the greatest lightweight of all time. Very good argument for that, if, especially if he can get a finish over Islam Makachev, right? The problem is, is that Islam is very competent on the feet. I don't know that he's quite the risk taker that Oliveira is, right? Like, I don't know if, how willing he's going to be to go into those firefights, but he's more, I think in this fight, he's going to more look to control things on the ground. And there's an argument, I think, that could be made that the most similar fighter that Charles Oliveira has faced, if you look at just stylistic comparisons, Kevin Lee might be the most similar to Islam Makachev. I'm not saying that they're totally similar. I'm just saying in terms of like their stance and the way that like, I, I know it's different, right? Like I'm just saying in terms of their skill set and the wrestling, like that you see from Kevin Lee and Kevin Lee's ability to get top position on Oliveira, I think there are similarities there. The difference, though, is that I think Islam is better everywhere. I think he's more technically sound in the striking department. I mean, that fucking head kick that Kevin Lee hit on Gregor Gillespie was unreal. But I think that Islam maybe doesn't have that sort of knockout power, but he does have all of the tools to keep himself safe defensively and to put pressure on people and strike with them offensively, right? So I think that he's a little bit better technically in that regard than Kevin Lee is, right? So I, and if you look at how some of the scrambles that Kevin Lee, now granted Kevin Lee can scramble too, like that's kind of like a good style for him, whereas Islam is more control-based. So it's going to, if you look at though, like Kevin Lee was able to establish top positioning sometimes and stay on top of Oliveira. I mean, ultimately he got finished, right? But he was able to get on top and do some things there and control Charles. The problem though, is that Islam is so good at controlling the fight on the ground, like so good at controlling those positions. And I think he's much more impressive than Kevin Lee was at maintaining that control, right? The question is going to be though, I think when they get to the ground, this is what it boils down to. Can Oliveira force constant scrambles? What does Islam look like when he has to scramble in positions? That's a real element of sports and a, like sport, like wrestling. And like, it's not, I think it's not given enough credit, but what happens? Cause one thing that Oliveira does really well is he wrestles with his legs. What happens when Islam Makachev starts getting on top, right? And what happens when Oliveira starts getting into these fucking Ashigarami situations and stuff or trying to sweep and constantly using his legs to wrestle with Islam and forcing situations that Islam probably isn't used to dealing with, right? That's the fucking question. I think though, oh my God, this is, I've gone back and forth on this. When I was sitting upstairs, like I said, right before this podcast, I was leaning with Islam. But now that I'm thinking about it, and when I think about that, because I was just thinking Islam is going to be able to get the fight to the ground and hold Charles there, right? And that could be a very real possibility. He might negate some of the things that Charles is able to do. And over time, when you're not able to successfully submit somebody, that can weigh on you. And also, another thing to consider in this fight, guys, is that if Islam is able to just keep getting on top, even if he has to go for the takedown over and over, most of Charles Oliveira's submissions are like rear naked chokes right anacondas he might hit he has some guillotines in there but a lot of your success is still going to come from the top position or getting to your opponent's back so it's like 
I just still don't think it's a good idea to be the one who's not the better wrestler in this matchup. So it's like, oh, I want to lean towards like Islam almost. And like, I think that's, if I'm being honest with myself about the stylistic matchup, I think that's how it goes. But if Oliver, because I think that when Islam gets there, the reality of the wrestling and pressure is like, I feel like both of these guys have never faced one like the other before. Like when Oliveira, he's, I think that he will, this fight will end up on the ground, but like when it gets there, it'll probably be Islam Makhachev who's initiating it. And when he gets there, I just feel like he's going to be able to like control things so much better than Kevin Lee did. And he's going to stay out of those scrambling positions. But if he's not able to, and Oliveira can constantly manipulate his base and make it move around, this is a close, this, this could start leaning towards Oliveira. And another thing to consider is that I think Oliveira is cleaner and faster on the feet. Like, I know that Islam, like we said, he was very technically sound. I just think, though, that, like, fuck, I keep, I'm flip-flopping as I make this pick. I think I'm going with Oliveira, man. I think I'm putting money on him at the odds that he's at. I think I love how much, like, top-tier competition he's faced over the years. I love the win streak that he's on right now. I love the confidence that he's exuding. I just think he fucking gets it done somehow. I think he is... Like I said, I think his striking is a little bit cleaner. He's willing to put himself in the fire a little bit more. I think he could crack Islam in situations like that. And what happens if he hits some fucking like judo throw or something and gets on top of Islam Makachev and you have to see Islam work his way up from his back? What does all that look like, right? I can see this fight going either way, but in terms of how I'm laying my money down, I think I'm going with Oliveira, man. I do think that he's going to be able to like leg wrestle and stuff from the bottom position. And even if he can't get a sub from there, get back to his feet or force scrambles that put Makachev in situations that he hasn't dealt with yet. And you also have to realize the magnitude of the stage, right? Oliveira has done this over and over again now against top tier competition. And this is really the first time that Makachev is truly stepping into the spotlight. This is a pay-per-view main event against one of the baddest motherfuckers in the world who has a hit list for a resume so i think that Oliveira gets it done man i'm leaning on his title defending experience i'm leaning on his experience in these big moments his ability to wrestle with the legs from the bottom position and make the positions hard for islam to control but yeah i'm going with Oliveira. i think he gets the finish somehow too maybe tko if he can keep it on the feet i don't know now, now that I'm like making, like I said, I've gone back and forth and back and forth and I won't be surprised if Islam wins. I think that Islam does have like a style that could, you never know until it plays out. That's the thing, right? It's like, but I think that Islam could potentially get the fight to the ground and just kind of wear on Oliveira. Like I said, if you look at some of the things that Kevin Lee struggled with, with the control, I think Islam could do better in those situations and keep the fight there. And then it kind of gets drawn out and it makes it harder and harder for Oliveira to hit submissions as his energy starts to fade over the course of the fight. But if Oliveira can make things difficult early on, we got a chance. So that's it guys though. That's going to wrap things up. Uh, yeah, I'm fucking pumped for this weekend. Big fight card. Like I said, um, let's just review these picks real quick and then I'll sign off. Uh, I'm taking Manone Foyo over Caitlin Chukagian. I like her, like, again, I just think she's a little bit more dynamic, both on the feet and in her ability to get the fight to the mat. Same thing with Tash Gamrod over Benil Dariush. I think Benil Dariush might have a power advantage, and if he could take advantage of pressuring Gamrot up against the cage and landing some of those big strikes, he might be able to win. But I think that he's going to have a hard time with the movement and speed of Gamrot to cut him off. 
And I think that the wrestling transitions are going to lean in favor of Gamrot. Uh, Sean O'Malley versus Piotr Jan. I got Jan, man. I just think that Jan is going to be able to keep the guard up, stay defensively sound enough until he can get his own rhythm going. But one thing to look out for, and it's going to kind of be like the theme of this card, is like, look out for the fucking explosiveness and the dynamic fucking striking of Sean O'Malley. If he can start to open things up, and like I said, volume and variety, get that in the face of Piotr Jan, I think he could win. Sterling versus Dillashaw. Man, these two title fights are tough to pick, but I'm leaning Dillashaw. I like his kickboxing. I like the movement. Um, and I like his ability to kind of string everything together in more of a like MMA format. I think it's going to be very hard for Sterling to get to back control or do something where he's able to establish dominance over TJ on the ground. So going with TJ Dillashaw on this one. And I'm riding with the underdog in the title fight too, which is actually kind of crazy to consider because it's Charles Oliveira. But again... Won't be totally surprised if we see Islam go out and start to put this pace on Charles Oliveira that kind of lasts over the course of five rounds and it gets harder and harder for Oliveira to put up defensive responses and submission attempts. But I think that when the fight does go to the ground, Oliveira is going to be able to wrestle with his legs, manipulate the base of Makachev and take advantage of either getting back to his feet or threatening with submissions of his own at least early on, right? As the fight wears on, if it's going in the direction where Islam's on top, it obviously gets harder for Charles. But I think that he's going to be enough of a threat on the ground to kind of manipulate some things that Islam is used to controlling pretty easily against other opponents, right? Um, I like Oliveira, man, and it's kind of crazy that he's a dog. And I also think that while Islam is very competent on the feet, I think that there's this explosiveness that Charles has and this just like power and crispness in his hands and the way he throws the strikes that's kind of like unmatched. So... For that reason, I'm going with Oliveira, man. My money is on Oliveira and Dillashaw. And then the other fights on the main card, I'm kind of leaning with the favorites. But yeah, riding with the underdog in both of the title fights. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Fucking crazy fight card this weekend. Like I said, I'm pumped. It feels like it's been a bit since we've had a card this big. So I'm really excited to just kind of like chill, watch it, and fucking like, yeah, see what happens with this lightweight main event. Um, as well as the fucking other fights in the card like i said there's some huge fights but anyway thank you guys for tuning in listening to me ramble if you enjoyed do me a favor hit the subscribe button uh comment all that good shit right give it a thumbs up and uh yeah that's all guys uh thank you for tuning in and i'll catch you guys later Bye bye